I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room. In the not too distant future, we should be able to achieve effective cholesterol lowering in almost everybody. Wouldn't it be a boon if the vast majority of your high cholesterol patients could find a solution that didn't require a daily dose of statins? And how much would your clinical load change if there was a vaccine for heart disease? Our guest in the tea room today says these possibilities are just some of a raft of options that are not in the realm of science fiction, but undergoing clinical trials right now. Professor Stephen Nichols is Director of the Victorian Heart Hospital and Director of the Victorian Heart Institute in Melbourne. I asked Professor Nichols, what's ahead for cholesterol treatment? I think that what you're going to see over the next few years is the emergence of a number of new therapies and also the emergence of different ways of giving the existing therapies that will enable for many more patients to get better control of their LDL. What are some of those therapies that might be coming up down the track? We've seen the emergence in recent years of, of drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors. Uh, they've been mainly in the form of monoclonal antibodies. We're now seeing the development of agents that inhibit RNA directly in the liver and a, an, an agent called inclycerin, which is soon to be available in Australia and looks really encouraging. We've got other approaches to targeting PCSK9, which are now going through clinical development standard vaccines, if you believe it, a vaccine for heart disease. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, I think that you can target PCSK9 lots of different ways. So as I said, we started with monoclonal antibodies. The next wave are RNA inhibitors. There are oral PCSK9 inhibitors that look pretty good. They're small molecules. There's an approach now using fairly old-fashioned vaccine technology, but instead of trying to go after some antimicrobial target, instead is simply targeting PCSK9, and that started clinical trials. And then At the very end of all of this is gene editing and the idea that we may be able to have once-in-a-lifetime treatment for cholesterol. All of these approaches now are real and they're undergoing clinical development. And that's before you then get to other agents that are coming along, some which are injectable, some of which are oral, which either by themselves will lower LDL cholesterol 50% or in combination with other therapies will do that. And so... We go from today having more than half of our highest risk patients not getting satisfactory cholesterol lowering to in the not too distant future, we should be able to achieve effective cholesterol lowering in almost everybody. And and I think that's going to be really exciting for patients. What options of those are the closest to being available, do you think? Well, I think that we've got to get better access to the PCSK9 inhibitors. We've had the monoclonal antibodies now for a number of years. The PBS criteria changed late last year, which increases the accessibility. I think many of us think that the emergence of inclycerin, which is a twice-yearly injectable targeting RNA, is a really exciting option because it may be that you simply go to your GP twice a year and have an injection, and that then takes adherence and all of those other things kind of out of the equation. The oral agents are clearly something that we've been waiting for them to emerge and they'll go through clinical trials. And it may simply be that you get another tablet or you get a combination pill in the future. So I think PCSK9 by itself is pretty exciting. 
there are agents that inhibit a factor called CTP, which we tried to develop many years ago targeting good cholesterol and now have realised that we probably should have been using its bad cholesterol-lowering properties. So those agents are going through clinical trials at the moment. So that's all exciting in its own right. And then you start to think about the lipid factors, which we never really targeted. You know, it's the triglycerides, it's the HDL, it's the lipoprotein little a. These are all factors that we've known associate with cardiovascular risk, but we've never had medications that effectively target them. And now there are development programs in all of those fields which look really encouraging. And so there are a lot of clinical trials ongoing at the moment. What options excite you the most? I think the game changers for me will be ultimately one that we can get LDL cholesterol to very low levels in so many more patients. And so that's got to be where you start. Two, we have solutions for people who can't tolerate statins. So these, a lot of these other agents are tolerated pretty well in patients who are statin intolerant. We know that statin intolerance is a really big deal. Probably 20% of our patients on a statin will come off due to muscle aches and pains. We've just reported a, a really large clinical trial of a new agent called bempedoic acid, and that not only lowered cholesterol but lowered the risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. And it did that in patients where the study was done exclusively in statin intolerance. It was the first trial ever conducted in statin intolerance of that size, 14,000 patients. So I think that those are two really exciting places. For me, lipoprotein little a, we understand the genetics and the biology. are They're really important not only for vascular disease, but valve disease. And we have medications now that can lower LP little a and they're in clinical trials, triglycerides, are a big problem in our society, particularly given that we have a lot more overweight and obesity, we have a lot more type 2 diabetes, and so our ability to lower triglycerides and lower risk would be a big deal. Again, we need to prove that in clinical trials. And then HDL, which was something that excited us a lot 15, 20 years ago, and then we had a lot of disappointments in clinical trials, we've gone back to the drawing board and had a bit of a rethink on what's the best way to target HDL. We think we've got a better approach to doing that. We're doing the clinical trials to answer those questions. So what excites me about those last three are that for the first time, we might actually have a solution for something that had no options. And that's ultimately good for patients. Let's talk about statins. The, there is a nocebo effect with statins. What are you seeing? Well, we know that statins are one of the most commonly prescribed medications in the world. More than 200 million people take a statin. 50% of people prescribed will stop taking that statin within 12 to 18 months. We know particularly that a number of patients will experience muscle aches and pains. The mechanism causing that has never been very clear, but there is a sense that there may be this, quote, nocebo effect. And what that means is that when we've done clinical trials of patients with statin muscle symptoms and we give them either placebo, a statin or nothing, the muscle symptoms seem to be reproduced whether you're taking the statin or the placebo compared to taking nothing at all. And, and so that is an issue. But I have always said to my patients that, you know, we can argue about the statin intolerance. The reality is if a patient is sitting in the room 
with me and saying, look, can't tolerate this medication, I'm not going to take it, then I've got a problem. And my problem is that their cholesterol remains higher than I want it to be and I need to find a better solution for them. So statin tolerance is a big problem. What advice might you have around adherence with statins? Well, I think the first thing, it's important to talk to your patient about why it is that you're recommending they take go on a statin in the first place. And it's important to really highlight that whether statins were the cause of somebody's heart disease or driving their risk, the clinical trials tell us that if you lower their cholesterol with a statin, they do better. The second thing I would say is that that it's not about arguing with patients about statin intolerance. It's about working with patients to get them onto some effective approach to lowering their cholesterol. And I will go back and start with statins because often I can use very low doses of statins and I may not even use them daily. And to try and start to see if I can get patients onto some effective dose of a statin. And if I do that, and that may take a number of months to do, I can still get 20, 30% lowering of cholesterol, which, which is a start. And I say to my patients, look, if you're having trouble tolerating these medications, then we're going to try a different way. It's going to take us a while and any cholesterol lowering helps. So that would be the, that would be the next part of that. And then I would then say that there are alternatives. There are, there's azetamide, there's PCSK9 inhibitors, benpidoic acid, which I referred to earlier on, which looks very encouraging. We'll come to the clinic in Australia sometime in the next few years, and there will be other therapies that will follow. So, so I, my advice to GPs is that it can be hard. The solutions are going to involve patients on everybody's behalf, but there are better solutions coming. Let's pick up on with these other solutions that might be coming down the track, tablets, injectables, gene therapy, vaccines, how much of that do you think will be up to GPs versus cardiologists, endocrinologists, lipidologists? Yeah, I, look, I think that from an LDL perspective, I think that a lot of that is ultimately going to end up in general practice. So I don't think gene therapy is going to be something like that. I think gene therapy you know, remains to be seen what the price of that would be. So I think that's, let's just park that to the side for now. But I would like to think that a lot of these oral medications and injectables are very much something that will be primarily driven in general practice. The reality is that we have a large burden of cholesterol in the Australian community, the lion's share of which is present and is going to need to be managed in general practice. So I think our ability to develop new therapies and combinations of therapies and to do it in ways where they both appear to be beneficial and are well tolerated, but then we can develop those models of care in ways that are straightforward for general practitioners to be able to implement are important. And I'd like to think that the same will apply with some of those other agents targeting LP little a triglycerides whatever but um i think it's i think it's an exciting time do you think adherence is issues with adherence is largely due to the muscle aches and pains or is it i mean adherence is a challenge for any drug that is prescribed is statins any different no, I think that you're you're prescribing agents that need to be then taken for the rest of people's lives. And and I think to simply write a script and fire and forget 
is we shouldn't be surprised that people are going to stop taking medication. So I think a lot of us are really excited to see how can we embrace interacting with our patients in different ways, in ways to be able to continue to promote ongoing use of therapies which we think lower their risk of heart attacks in the future. And it might be a lifelong medication now, but maybe five years, 10 years down the track, they'll be able to transition to, like you say, an injection twice a year. Well, exactly. Or do you treat people for a period of time really intensively and then back off? Now, we've never done clinical trials to really answer that question. We've never had necessarily the different therapies at our disposal to be able to do something like that. But we're kind of getting towards that. And innovation continues to be important. But we can do a lot of good, a lot more good than we do today if we were able to do better in more effectively using what we know already works for more people. And looking at the broader social context that that patient lives in and enabling them to be able to manage themselves better. Exactly. And we know that the people who have the biggest challenges in terms of access to healthcare and the biggest access to these therapies also, surprise, surprise, have the largest burden of heart disease and the worst outcomes when they get it. So we've got a lot more work that lies ahead, which is what keeps a number of us kind of getting up every day and coming to work to find better solutions. Well, you've been getting up and coming to work to the Victorian Heart Hospital lately. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's really exciting. Uh, a decision was made by the Victorian state government nearly 10 years ago now to build a dedicated heart hospital and to do it on the campus at Monash University. And, and that was going to achieve two goals. One, it was going to create a large heart hospital dedicated to not only treating a lot of patients with heart disease, but creating centres of clinical excellence around that. But by placing it on the university campus, it was also going to integrate research and teaching and so it was going to drive innovation. And we opened the doors to the VHH about four weeks ago. And so we're really excited. And you know, we said to our teams, right, step number one is that we create a model and we open safely for our teams and for our patients. And we've been able to do that. And now becomes the fun part of how do we then innovate further and how do we really create the excellence that we think a project like this should deliver. What are the pros and cons of this kind of specialist hospital? I think the advantages always are the opportunity to develop really specialised care. The cons that I'd put perhaps the challenges with this is it's always a balance between what our investments look like in terms of advanced tertiary medicine and what our investments look like across the healthcare sector in general. We've talked a lot in the last 15 minutes about the burden of disease, and so it's about how do you strike the right balance, and, and we've tried to respect that by making sure that this hospital wasn't just about what happens in the four walls here and how it connects across. How we develop a heart hospital and acknowledge the fact that our patients don't just have heart disease, They've got multi-system disease and how do we provide great care for them? And that's been great to watch individual medical departments working together to think differently about the way that they communicate or deal with a range of issues and to watch that start to come to life. 
I think is pretty exciting. So it's pretty exciting times, both with what's ahead for cholesterol treatment and what's happening at the Victorian Heart Hospital. Is there anything that you want to say to wrap it up? Yeah, we've still got a lot of work to do. I kind of went into a career in cardiology because I felt that there were a lot of clinical trials making a difference to the way that we did things, and they did make a different, big difference. We've seen the the rate of heart disease and, and the death due to heart disease decline significantly over the last 50 years, yet it's still the biggest killer. Our hospitals are still full, so we need better solutions. I think that there's a lot of work happening at both the prevention end and also at the pointy end of fancy procedures, which give us an opportunity to prevent and treat heart disease in a way that we've never been able to before, and I think the future is bright. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Nichols. Best of luck with Victorian Heart Hospital. Thank you. That was Professor Steve Nichols, Director of the Victorian Heart Hospital. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in.